Have you heard of Unmuddle? They are disrupting the community college scene. Check them out at unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosted by Dr. Joe Salustio and Elizabeth Leiba, produced by Elvin Freites, The EdUp Experience brings you the brightest and most influential minds from across the globe via The EdUp Experience podcast. Get ready, get set, let's go. Do you want to hear about something that is so unique for two-year colleges? Did you know that Unmuddle created a national marketplace for community colleges? That's right. For more details, go to unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Edip Experience Podcast, where we make education, oh boy, your business. Let me try that again, guys. I'll tell you what, I think I got a frog in my throat. Welcome back. This is the Edip Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond. My name is Dr. Joe Salustio, and I'm back with another special Edip Embedded episode. And boy, am I excited about this one and this gentleman. Um, much more than I have. I'm going to say more than I have other guests, but what he has going on is super unique. Um, it's kind of like you know that it exists, but you don't know much about it. And he's here to talk about his company that he co-founded and the larger problem that exists in higher education and how his company can help solve those issues. His name is John Fees, and he's co-founder and CEO of GradGuard. John, welcome to the Edip Experience Podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been listening for some time. Really appreciate the work you're doing. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. It's uh, it's always fun to talk with people inside and outside higher ed. You have um, you know, a really unique product uh, set that you're offering to colleges and universities. And when I say that, it kind of you kind of know if you work in higher education, you know that it exists, kinda. But you, it's not something that you think about all of the time. So talk about GradGuard. First of all, for somebody that's listening, it's never heard of GradGuard. What is it? Yeah, the elevator pitch is that GradGuard is the specialist in reducing the risks of paying for college for uh, students and families. Uh, you know, most of us that work in the industry are uh, really aware that uh, the cost of college, the increase in cost over the last 30 years is, is dramatically increased the risk of paying for college. And when you uh, combine that with the health conditions uh, facing students today that are enrolling in college, uh, it really creates a financial risk uh, that many students cannot overcome and universities are unprepared to, uh, to, to address. And so we are the first national company to uh, create something called tuition insurance. Uh, tuition insurance uh, pays for uh, the, and provides a refund when a student is forced to withdraw due to any number of legitimate reasons. Could be illness, accidents, uh, you know, death of a tuition payer, addiction, a variety of unforeseen but, but frequent occurrences in the lives of students. Uh, we provide a refund for tuition, academic fees, and housing expenses when universities do not, and really effectively provide uh, families a do-over 
so they can really focus on the well-being of their student, help their student get back to uh, enroll in classes and hopefully complete their degree, which is really ultimately the reason we founded the business. So are you, is it a double-sided marketplace where your, your customer is the consumer, the student, and the university? Yeah, I mean, the, it's exactly right. Um, you know, what's difficult about insurance is we, we took, when we started the company a decade ago, uh, we, I, I built, I'd worked for Arizona State uh, back in the 90s, uh, been in admissions in a variety of different roles in the universities. I really love higher education. It's in my blood. Um, and uh, I built a couple technology companies, one of which served the student lending world. And what we learned in the student lending world was that, you know, even though the media really covers it as a crisis, the real crisis is not borrowing for college. The real crisis is when families and students are uninformed. Uh, and then secondly, when they do not graduate. And so really what we have is a college completion problem in this country. 80% of the student loans default are from students who did not complete their degrees. And when you look at the reasons why students' uh, education are disrupted, uh, there are a lot of those reasons that are actually insurable reasons, uh, you know, becoming uh, depressed, uh, having a concussion, uh, becoming ill with COVID. Uh, all of these types of experiences, the death of a parent, are actually insurable events. And the truth is, tuition insurance is, uh, was not something we invented. Uh, it was a product that was available to elite institutions for many years through a company called Doers. Uh, Doers is the leader in the K-12 market and uh, we're pioneers in, in helping schools provide refunds. We, we had a different approach um, where our approach was basically to say there are almost 20 million students in the country. Uh, all students should have the opportunity to protect themselves, not just students in elite institutions. Uh, and uh, the larger the risk pool is, the better the coverage can be and the lower the price can be. And so when you underwrite just a school, that's actually the most inefficient and probably most costly way to do it. The best way to do it is to do it on a national basis. And so we were really pleased to be able to announce last year that we could cover students who had, were forced to withdraw due to becoming ill with COVID really put us on the map in a lot of ways because families were really concerned about the well-being of their students they're equally concerned this year um, schools uh, obviously are not in a position financially to provide refunds uh, they couldn't provide refunds to the due to the change of mediums for instance uh, moving online versus uh, in person um, but uh, the the real concern actually was the growth of mental health conditions the isolation that students faced and ordinary illnesses, um, and, and of course, COVID. So uh, when you insure students all over the country, we have work with over 400 universities from NYU to uh, Chapman University in, in California to University of Mary in North Dakota to you know virtually every state from Alaska to Florida, you have the right spread of risk that if you were only insuring NYU or schools in Boston, you'd have too much concentration to be able to type to provide the type of coverage that families really need. Really, this is really fascinating. And, you know, the, the first piece, and although it feels simple, is you make a major purchases in your life. And, and most of those major purchases come with some kind of insurance attached to them, right? You buy, you buy even if you rent, uh, here, raise my hand as a California renter, which comes with its own consequences, I, I promise you. Um, I have renter's insurance. Uh, I carry something so that if something happens to my rental house, somebody comes in, destroys it, whatever, I've got insurance to cover my major purchase. And this rent 
uh, this house that I rent is it probably less than a year of college at some institutions. Uh, many, many people don't think protect my investment with insurance when it comes to higher education. It feels like a one, a, 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 you know, like as you're a student, uh, adult student or traditional, what we call a traditional student, you're just kind of jumping into the water with no protection. How do you change that, that, that thought process that, you know, you should ensure this major purchase that you, that you make and you're protecting yourself in the end against all of these factors. I mean, you think about natural disasters, right? And you think yeah. about things of that nature. You know, I think our work is really to help schools protect their students, um, to help schools increase the confidence that families have by choosing to enroll at a particular university. That That's a big issue, isn't it? Big confidence. Issue. Yeah, it's a confidence. And so I'm not really an insurance guy. In fact, when we built this product, um, you know, what we knew is we had the data from American College Health Association around the needs nationally. Uh, when you see the data over decades, American College Health Association is a terrific organization. They published something uh, called the National College Health Assessment. And when you see that year after year, 2% of, of students report getting mono, and about 10% of them have such serious cases that they, they can't persist. Uh, same with uh, concussions or, uh, uh, or flu or other types of illnesses. Even before COVID, it was really obvious. What we're talking about is probably a billion dollars a year or more are lost to families and students who are uh, unprepared to deal with these surprise health conditions. Uh, it's pretty easy to calculate uh, the billion dollars. I, I think the, the change was when I was a student in Arizona State, uh, the cost of college was less than $500 a semester. Universities could provide refunds. Uh, today, they really are not in a position to do that. And universally, schools provide refunds on a prorated basis, uh, consistent with the return of federal financial aid dollars. And, uh, you know, and that's the way it is. And so the, the truth is uh, families are smart to uh, ask the schools for the refund policies and schools that work with Bradguard really embrace kind of a transparency that I think is essential to consumer purchases. You know, one of the keys is in the way we work with universities is we embed our uh, tuition insurance offer within the billing process of some of the largest companies. So if you look at TouchNet or Nelnet or CashNet, you know, these companies have worked with us to integrate uh, both a disclosure of the university's refund policy. So there are no surprises uh, about how this student or family's money will be uh, returned to them, if at all. Uh, and then given an active choice. I'm very big with insurance that it should be an active choice. It's not that you shouldn't, that you should be ever required to buy insurance. It's that you should know what the risk is and then be given an opportunity to do it. Uh, and the great thing is it's super affordable. It's $106 for $10,000 of coverage. So when, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan and advocate for uh, first generation students, Pell Grant students, and, and, and those that are most vulnerable in need. And, and the reality is, if a school can't provide a refund to ordinary students, they're going to have a difficult time doing it for the most needy. And tuition insurance helps uh, make certain that those students and every student has the opportunity to return and, and really get a do-over. Yeah, you know, it's, this is fascinating. I, I mean, I keep saying that because it really is. Um, well, I'm, I'm happy somebody uh, finds it interesting. I, I would say I was naive, <laughs> I was naive though. Um, I, I really was. I, I think that 
Um, I really, uh, you know, we worked with a lot of folks in enrollment management. Uh, I think that, that um, there are deeply committed uh, higher education professionals, especially in enrollment management. And I think we just have not spent enough time on college completion to really understand the factors there. We talk a lot about student success. We talk about the importance of out of the classroom activities, residence life, a variety of things. And what's interesting about the move towards online and hybrid learning is that the data becomes really apparent. When a student doesn't show up to class for three days or three or misses three classes, the data there is there available to say to the faculty member, let's find out what's going on with that student. What's in that, what's happening in that student's life? Maybe they have a concussion, maybe a family member has died or became ill. And the truth is that we're all in this together in terms of increasing college completion. I think it's uh, a mistake for families to think that schools can provide refunds. They're just not in the financial position to do that. Uh, and I think it's also a mistake for schools not to update and review their uh, consumer disclosures. It's really, really important for uh, schools to have a section on their website that discloses all the requirements that they that many universities are forced to do, which is everything from the Clery Act data to what the refund policy of, of the school is. If you don't, as a, as a higher ed leader, if you don't disclose the refund policy to your students, I, I really think you're exposing yourself to a claim uh, in litigation. And frankly, we'll have a difficult time not, provi not providing a refund. Yeah, you know, this is a, I'm going to tell you that this is a very sensitive subject for administrators um, as as one and I grew up in the for-profit sector where <laughs> where you used to I mean back in the day you used to bury information like that so nobody could find it now I'm gonna say that way way back in the day uh, I can name, I can name 10 major public universities that have you cannot find their refund policy right it is a um, it, it, you know I, I was working with Terry Hartle on a presentation and uh, Terry's the lobbyist for ace uh, former Kennedy staffer really an exceptional person and it, you know he basically points out that you know university administrators especially university c-suite we need to start looking at the way we conduct ourselves and I think COVID has brought attention to that because Definitely. of all the lawsuits um, you know, it, it's it's absolutely fine to administer your policies in your universities the way you, you'd like, right? Return of federal financial aid dollars is pretty much clear cut. Yep. Um, you know, so just embrace the truth and then find remedies to overcome, whether it be crime uh, on campus or Query Act problems or student health issues. Um, you know, I think as long as we're really transparent, I think it's a mistake that families make to think that nonprofit institutions or for-profit are going to be able to treat them any differently than a cruise company. That right. means, I mean, at the same time, it's so much different than a cruise, right? When you're talking about a student's life, it's a family experience uh, to send a student to education. I've got a sophomore at UC Berkeley this year, a student that just graduated from ASU, my, my uh, oldest son. And, you know, it is a family journey. And it's so much more than a travel expense. Uh, and when a student struggles, uh, your primary concern is the well-being of your student, help them through whatever that crisis may be. And then the second is to get them back on their journey. And to then suffer a $30,000 loss or a $10,000 loss, and to realize that your 529 money uh, that you saved or the student loan you took is actually lost, uh, it, that's 
that's having two problems when really you should only be focused on one. And that's the well-being of your student. You know, the going back to that point about uh, transparency of um, of a refund policy, you know, it's uh, colleges and universities uh, traditionally have not embraced the fact that the student is a full full consumer, right? You go to Amazon or you go to wherever, uh, it, your refund policy is smack dab right there. Two clicks, you find it. You you now you might order a product and return it, and order a product and return it. I know because my <laughs> wife does that quite a bit. Um, if you do that in higher education, it messes with the entire model. It messes with your ability to forecast. It messes with your your federal uh, data that you have to report on your withdrawals and so on. And so schools are really reluctant to say, hey, look, if you buy it, you can get out real easy. It's more like if you buy it, you're here and we got you. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and we want to hold on to you at, at all costs. That's a... a um, it's a you know, commodification uh, evolution that's taking place within higher education, which I think underpins the whole confidence piece, right? Yeah. Because you can't be confident in a product if that product doesn't fully disclose all of its layers and uh, variables, right? If you're, yeah. you know, so, and then that creates this mist. Um, you, you wrote something to me that said, uh, um, uh, college is uh, one of the, if not the second biggest uh, purchase you make in your life, but it also comes with the least transparency in, in how the costs lay out. So like a car, I've said it, like go car house, you go in, you sit down, you get financed, you walk out with exactly how much you're going to pay for the next 30 years. Yeah, maybe there's escrow and these little tiny variables yeah. that exist, but it's not that much to understand. College is not that You know, I think you're one of the things I like about your podcast is it really is more than just content. It's a really, it is a community of active listeners. It's a movement of sorts about the way we think of the transformational impact of education. And my favorite, you're my favorite person, John. Thank you. It's, it is, uh, I'm a true believer. I mean, education, my parents were school teachers. It's made a major difference. I went to Arizona State, but I also went to Harvard for graduate school. And so did my wife. Uh, you know, and what we've seen in the difference between those two experiences is exceptional, right? They're very, very different opportunities for people in both, in both environments. And yet uh, the, the reality is they both transformed our lives in different ways at different moments in our lives. Uh, what I believe uh, is vital for education leaders is just embrace the truth. Um, I think that in this day and age where basically universities and uh, even the investment in by many families in paying for education it is really coming into question, is it worth it? Uh, is a question that families are asking in a, in a way that we've never seen before. I'm involved with something called College Success Arizona, which is uh, a college access and attainment organization in Arizona uh, where I'm treasurer. And we are trying to do our very best to increase attainment levels and increase the capacity of our citizens to really contribute not only to the economy, but to the strength of our communities, right? In the strengths of our neighborhood. And I think that's what education does. The difficulty is when universities are not fully transparent and not fully committed to completing the Clery Act data correctly, which is, you know, the hundreds of schools that have, in, have, have been fined for, for basically misrepresenting or, or making mistakes in Clery Act data or Title IX data. When we get the small things wrong, refund policy disclosures, when we get the small things wrong, it then calls into the question when we're saying other things like masks work or, or vaccines work or uh, that the value of an education is 
worth two or three times that of a high school education. It calls into the very question, the essence of our work as educators. And so we've got to get the small things right, and we've got to be absolutely committed to doing that. And then we need to address the risks associated with it, because right now, in America especially, the risks are overly burdening families and students. The risks are unfairly balanced and not adequately disclosed. And, and your grad guard's just a remedy to it. Uh, we're delighted to, uh, to see really our own movement of schools. Uh, the, uh, you know, it's taken us a decade to work with more than 400 universities, but today we're, we're seeing several schools a week uh, embracing our approach, which is to disclose the refund policy to the school and give an active choice to families uh, to be able to protect themselves. Unmuddle. Have you heard of them yet? If you haven't, you've got to check them out at unmuddle.com slash colleges. They are disrupting the community college scene. Their course to jobs marketplace is a modern way for community colleges to compete with the big players. Check them out again at unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. You know, this, as you, you're talking about this, I'm thinking as grad guard is almost a social good here, right? Because when you, t- when you actually put it to some of the existing problems, such as first-gen students, lower-income students, students of, uh, of color, and those students attend, um, statistically, they uh, don't complete in higher numbers. And the, there's a lot of reasons for that we don't have to go into. But if they leave with debt, the ch- and I, I tell you this uh, from experience over 20 years, the likelihood of getting them back when a student um, from a lower economic background leads with debt, getting them back is literally impossible. Yeah. They have too many expenses going on. Yeah. So if you've insured them, and I'm going to walk this through, if the university goes to grad guard to insure yeah. these refunds, if a student has some type of family issues, family member dies, they just don't have the dollars to continue. You're, so it's spot on. You, you've, is- you've helped generational wealth. Yeah, Joe, this is the this is the DEI, this is the equity issue here that's so important. Yeah, it's um, it really is uh, about digging in as a university administrator and enrollment leader. I would recommend just dig into your exit interviews as to why students are leaving, and you're going to find a lot of those reasons are insurable events. That if they had uh, tuition insurance, by the way, the way our tuition insurance program works is uh, the student purchases the policy. But the payment is first made to the institution and then the institution. So if there's an account due or account balance due to the, um, to the institution, the school gets paid. Right. So the student can re-enroll. The whole goal here is to re-enroll the student. We have a student we're working with right now. We've got a number of testimonials on our, our website. Uh, and this is a student that withdrew due to really mental health, serious mental health conditions last fall during COVID. She's a, venture, uh, she's a Virginia Commonwealth student. Uh, first-generation uh, um, Latino student who basically has re-enrolled this this fall. She needed to take off the spring, uh, but she's re-enrolled because she's got the capacity to do it. She didn't have to repay her loans. And remember, the way loans work is that they're earned after the week five, and so those loans have to be repaid. And if you don't get the academic credits you had expected, you just feel like you're behind. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Joe, you're spot on. We used to, you know, I've worked with NASFA and we've attended national financial aid conferences. I love the financial aid community, but the reality is it's so much bigger than that. It's the enrollment management kind of office and leadership. And frankly, it's the C-suite that needs to 
uh, embrace kind of an op a change in the way we think about enrollment and specifically asking the question about you know who's leaving and who's not returning and are there anything is there anything else we can do to help them return more easily i'm looking at this now my mind you're you're blowing my mind here because now i'm going, <laughs> okay this is a retention tool it's an it's an it's actually a recruitment tool right so a student's going to leave it's an insurable event i can go to that student and say hey look you know what you you're you're re here's the refund of of uh of your tuition, you know, go take care of your family, but come back when you're ready. Don't go to another school, which you're probably going to do if I'm not giving you any of your money back. You're, if you do go back through the education pipeline, you're probably not going to go back to the place where you owe money. I know this because the majority of students right. do owe money that we take at my university or whenever I've worked at any other university. It's like, oh, they have loans over here and loans over there. They come to another university to avoid that. That's the way some that students work is they're looking at that as something they can't deal with. And so they want to go somewhere else. It's, it's an avoidance issue, whatever. So what you're doing then is you're creating a re-enrollment pipeline. You're um, helping with, with retention. Um, yeah. If a student knows that something happens, uh, they're more likely to stay. You know, if they can be reimbursed, they're more likely to stay where they are. Uh, if they know that if something happens, they could be insured. And then finally, the social good piece, which I think cannot uh, be stated enough here, is that if you let me just say it again. If you're insuring, if your university is insuring these students and a student has an event happen and they're a lower income student, and they walk out with debt, you'll never see them again. But if they're actually coming out with, with no debt, uh, you've then contributed to the ability for that family to, to and that student to achieve success in their life and, and you know, close the wealth gap and, and generation of the wealth gap. Yeah, I think you're, you're, I don't think I've done a good enough job of, of just, I, I'm rambling too, so stop. I don't know. I think uh, you're helping me articulate. I, the social good of what we're trying to do is, so first of all, when we started the business more than a decade ago, the cost of tuition insurance was twice what it is today. And, and so, um, and our coverage is improved. For instance, our mental health coverage and covering COVID, these types of issues, we are only because we have scale. And so it is a social good that the more schools participate, but you know, for many years, only elite private institutions offered this. When we started, Auburn was the first public university in the country to offer this. Now we have Alabama and Tennessee and Purdue and Oklahoma State and, and Ohio, uh, Oregon, and I go down a long list of public institutions. But early on, public institutions had never heard of tuition checks. They're not really tuition dependent. The schools who uh, embraced this first were the elite expensive schools that were tuition dependent. Um, and now what we, our goal has been is to make this ubiquitous, make it something that all students can, can choose to protect if they want. There are students that may or may not need it because they can afford the risk. But the, the truth of it is you're borrowing for college. This is a, a no-brainer. This is exactly what you should be doing. Uh, financial aid offices, I hope, will embrace it. And oh, by the way, the more schools that offer it, the better our pricing is become and because the spread of risk works. And I really am committed to that. I really believe that uh, as more as we don't, you can't predict which student's going to have a concussion that's really uh, debilitating or, or mono or uh, any number of these events like even COVID, uh, but you can predict that it's going to happen. That the frequency of these events uh, are you know, not the primary factor. A lot of schools will tell me, well, we just don't see a lot of this. Well, they're not asking during exit interviews, why are they leaving, right? So first, typically, 
And then the second thing is the severity of the loss is really what, what tuition insurance and how insurance really works. When you have a large potential loss, for instance, uh, a fire in your, uh, in your apartment, uh, where you're caused damage to your property, but also the, the adjoining properties, same type of thing happens in a dorm. If you can't protect that and it's a large substantial loss, that's when you when insurance is a smart uh, smart uh, decision for families and students. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's a uh, again it's fascinating and you know well, let me ask you this because you you probably have heard and and uh, roll back the clock even six months a lot of uh, thought leaders in the space I always say what is the, how, what, what qualifies somebody as a thought leader people tell me I'm a thought leader and I go well, uh, you yeah. are. Well, I, I post stuff and, you know, it's, some people comment on it. And then I go, what would it qualify somebody? But that's another conversation saying, hey, uh, these small private colleges are in real big trouble. And, um, you know, and I'm wondering if your client base shifted during coronavirus. Did you see a lot of more, a lot see, more seen, small, yeah, seen small privates protect their investment? Yeah, we've seen a rapid growth in, uh, in the uh private school market but you know the private school markets uh, the mid-size and small market they they've been in a position where they've been cash constrained for a long time uh right. 10 years ago and 15 years ago even religious institutions might have found a way to try to help a student uh back if they've lost a lot of money uh due to uh, a medical withdrawal they're really uh, you know in our experience in talking to schools every school we talk to has real cash constraints Every school we talk to is reconsidering their travel policy to conferences. Uh, they're reconsidering their refund policies. Some of many schools are actually uh, actually tightening their refund policies. USC is a good example. Uh, after day 15, uh, you get nothing back as an example. Um, most schools are still five weeks, four to five weeks, but the reality is uh, you're starting to see schools even uh, uh, you know, become more conservative. I, I just think that right. the, whole, the whole industry has to, uh, uh, you know, I think the days where we can continue to see increase in tuition and fees, uh, those days are, are behind us. I think it's going to be about efficiency, about delivering a value and helping retain students so they can complete their education and get what was promised to them, uh, which is an institution that really cares about their success, both as a student and beyond. You think grad guard helps to boost brand recognition I do, and trust. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I feel great. I mean, you know, Harvard, MIT, Princeton, Brown, some of the finest institutions in the country rely on us to protect their students. Right. And, uh, and that's, we're, we're delighted by that. Our goal is to make certain every public institution does uh, as well. And uh, that every public institution does uh, the same types of things and provides the same opportunities that, uh, that students attending these elite institutions can as well. We're, we're making really good progress. Uh, we're starting to see uh, this type of discussion. I, I probably have been uh, inadequate in a lot of ways in getting the message out. Um, I will say that the key is uh, our partnerships with universities. Um, you know, the university partners who embrace this, I think not only enhance their own brand, uh, but they actually demonstrate that we're offering something that you know, the best schools in the country are. Uh, we're giving you the same opportunity. And not only that, we want you to have the confidence when you're writing that check uh, to know that we've got your back and we're gonna help you re-enroll if something unexpected happens. Uh, by the way, when schools participate with us, that's when it's least expensive. It's $106 for $10,000 of coverage. 
if you uh, attend a school that we don't work with, the cost is uh, 2% or $200. So when schools agree to work with us, uh, they are saving their students money and delivering a better product. Uh, it's not that you can't, that students can't buy this on their own. It's just that's not the way our program is designed. The, the real program, the, our real effort is to help schools protect their students. So where do you go with GradGuard from here? You're, you're, you're growing, clearly. Yeah. Your, your product uh, placement is clear. Uh, market fit seems very clear. Um, talk about your growth. Talk about your the evolution yeah. of your company. So we look at the other risks facing students. Uh, is also uh, we're we're, by, we're already the largest provider of insurance to college and university students in the country, other than health insurance. Uh, we we didn't talk about it today, but uh, when you live on campus, so three million students that live on college campuses today. Uh, there were two thousand fires reported in student housing each of the last ten years, on an average. That's crazy. It's crazy. And students today, I had only vinyl records uh, in, in the when I went to college today. They're all electronics. Average water sprinkler or fire damage is sixty thousand dollars, which really puts people back. So if you live at UCLA or USC or any number of schools today, GradGuard is embedded in that process and, and uh, provides a renter's insurance program that uh, is highly relevant and unavailable in the drill market. It's better to get rid of those dorm room toasters. That's, That's all right. I'm here. Well, no, to be honest, though, nobody in terms of social good, no insurance companies wanted to insure college students. It was a high risk market. Oh, super uh, high risk. Uh, yeah. And then we worked with the University of California to design this program. And the, the truth is the insurance industry has got have lots of gotchas, right? They they pay depreciated value. They have high deductibles. They report claims to uh, claims bureaus, right? All those things, they don't insure anybody younger than 18, right? We designed a program that, that took all those issues off the table, made certain that you had worldwide property coverage in case you were traveling home or on study abroad. And, and we feel great about it. So we think that all 3 million students live on in student housing need a program like this. By the way, 20 years ago, homeowner insurance used to cover you on campus. It's, it's no longer that case. Very, very few of the top home insurance companies even provide coverage for their students living on campus um, any longer. So a part of this is a moment in time where the risks of paying for college uh, have just changed. The, 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 if you look at what a backpack is worth of a college student, uh, you know, with an average textbook price of over $350 and electronics of a couple thousand dollars in your bag, a backpack's worth two or three thousand dollars easily, and can be sold uh, in the secondary market uh, by a drug dealer or anybody else. And yep. so we replace all those things. So I think the the what I believe is we want to continue to work with people like you and, and other higher ed leaders to say what are the other risks facing families. And one of the one of the um, key uh, framing questions for us is. How can we help students graduate and their families? And, and so one of the big topics we've been talking about is, the, is uh, parent mortality. Um, parents are, are essential partners uh, to helping students, whether or not they're co-borrowers with and loans uh, or just moral support or financial support. And if you look at the average middle-aged middle, middle age, uh, parent today, they're typically un, underinsured. And, and we have some ideas around how to provide some type of uh, benefit for schools to basically help those families that, that might lose a parent. Now, tuition insurance covers you for that term, but it doesn't pay for the balance of your education if a parent does. 
if you have to withdraw due to a death of a tuition payer, we are going to give you all your money back and for that term, right? But what I think there's another interesting problem here, which is families that lose a parent. In, and you know, I've got two or three other ideas, but I'd tell your listeners and you, Joe, um, you're closer to the market than I am. Uh, every problem we've solved here has been uh, from a discussion with a colleague like yourself who basically said, I've got this growing problem. Uh, I've got growing problems of student medical withdrawals. Uh, I've got a growing problem of uh, being in a position where we're in an adversarial collections relationship with a student who can't pay us for the damages they caused in the residence halls. Right? What we're trying to do is remove that friction, but also allow um, that risk to be syndicated so that the coverage is very, very affordable. The, the key here, again, I'm not really an insurance guy, but you're right about insurance is typically uh, a social good. Uh, but it's only a social good when it's priced right in the company right. work. And so scale is what's essential. And so if one school has a problem that, that you identify, Joe, I'd be happy to think through it with you. Any of your listeners, um, what our role is, is we are what's called a program manager, which means we're not the insurance company. I work with Allianz, the world's largest insurance company, and Markel to use their balance sheets because we have hundreds of millions of dollars of exposure their balance sheets stand behind our claims. But our role is to identify the risks, be an advocate for our community of schools and the families we serve, and then to identify those next risks. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really thankful for colleagues like you that can bring these emerging problems to us and say, is, is there a solution here? Is there a way to ensure this? If one school has this problem, many others may as well. I feel like your next article is ah. the backpack cost and how to protect it. it I mean, is. that would get a lot of, a lot, a lot of views. If you uh, decide to sit down and write that, I'd be happy to help. Yeah, I, I, I need to, um, you know, I, I'm just. We're, it's we're a fascinating. Really... It's, a, it's a really interesting, right? The backpack cost is real. I mean, every, every person has a real investment and you look at the average person who has so much data, so many devices uh, as a kid. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. a deb debilitating if somebody takes that. It's debilitating, and um, yeah, it's there. The crime data around uh, the FBI crime data and Clery Act data is pretty substantial. Yeah, uh, it's it is. Uh, students are are often vulnerable to because they're living on their own for the first time. So they're they're overconfident. Um, I personally think universities are very safe places. There's, uh, but they are also targets. My favorite, there was a quote in the Arizona Republic a few years ago about Arizona State, and they literally, the head of DPS on campus called ASU a mall for thieves. Um, and it is, it, it, it just, and it's not, uh, it's just such an open environment and we want your universities to be open environments, but frankly, a lot of the common thieves look uh, like they're college age and, and that's a problem for the students that are there, so. So, John, we always uh, end with uh, the last uh, two questions that we have. Number one, what didn't we say about GradGuard that you wanna that you wanna bring to the table? I, I will uh, say something for you, which is uh, you've helped work more than one million families and have uh, about four hundred or more colleges and universities that work with GradGuard. I mean, you think about that scale. Congratulations. Where's number five hundred? Uh, because this is such an amazing solution. Uh, but what didn't we say about GradGuard? What needs to be said? And what do uh, you see as the you're, you've been higher very, education? Yeah, you've been very generous. I, I really, uh, the message I had is that, 
you know, there are, uh, today we're serving uh, 400 universities and about 2 million students. Uh, as you know, that's only about a quarter of the market for undergraduate students. And so our goal is to give every uh, student that opportunity. And if you're working with the university or if you're a university administrator, help us on that journey because you're right, um, we're a social good. The more schools that uh, participate with us, the network effects are real. And this will have value for both institutions and the families they serve. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to just even uh, have this type of discussion. What do you see as the future of higher education, John? Oh, I love that question. It's great that you frame every uh, everyone here. I, I mean, I, I think uh, it's going to continue to evolve rapidly. I'm not in the naysayer world of Prof G. Uh, I'm a big fan of Scott Galloway's, but I don't think uh, it's a doom and gloom. I think what COVID really exposed us to is that the operating rules and status quo all have to be evaluated. Uh, that you can deliver a great education via, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Zoom or, or other multimediums. But here's the, the real thing I believe is that what we saw with the loss of residential education was real and that students wanted that interaction families were paying for that that socialization experience you know and i really believe that uh, the future of higher education is going to be a hybrid world but we are going to value educational experiences it's not just content if we only focus on content and credentials we're making a mistake content and credentials are vital but it is the educational qualities that promote values, promote character, and promote a sense of community that are essential to the type of, of country we want, uh, the competitiveness of our uh, of the uh, United States, and frankly, the well-being of the world. Because as uh, citizens become more knowledgeable about everything from global warming to uh, equity issues to other things, the world can be a better place. And uh, I absolutely believe higher education and the leaders of it are central to that success. Well, the word of the day, uh, because I get caught in these, you know, John, I get caught in these moments where I use the same word over and over. Today's yeah. word is fascinating. And I'm going to call you Mr. John, fascinating fees. He <laughs> is the co-founder and CEO of GradGuard. Um, it, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so uh, honored that you uh, were here talking with me this morning. I couldn't think of a better way to start my day out here in Southern California. I appreciate it very much. And I encourage everybody to check out gradguard.com, a beautiful website, lots of information. I think it will uh, accurately and do justice to the, to the topics that we talked about today. John, if somebody checks out your website and understands what you guys do, contact John. He's active on LinkedIn. He, you can find him. He's not a hard man to find, uh, but he is full of fascinating information, ladies and gents. John, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Joe. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. And just wanted to remind you, if you have a few moments, head to Apple Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. Let us know what you think of the EdUp Experience podcast. We are going to continue to bring you the best and brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond. Thanks for listening, everyone.